You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. Episode 5 of Orange and Backcheck is here. Bill Kornfeld, Scott Weinhardt. Scott, how's it going, my man? Hey, man. Look, the Flyers picked up three out of six points this week. I would say that's actually not too bad. So I'm not doing too bad then. No, they're still, they're obviously, we're 13 games in for the Flyers. Varies between each team, obviously, with how the NHL schedule works. Um, They're in that playoff hunt still, and that's all they can keep their head above water at this point. When they're running under a new system, a new coach, it takes a little bit of time for, for sure and as much as everyone I think what everyone what happened was they saw the Penguins game because I think that's if I were to guess that's uh NBC Sports Philly's highest rated hockey games every year besides the playoffs because it's the Penguins and they saw a 7-1 to just undressing of the Flyers and everyone freaked out but then they had a nice little comeback they got three points uh over the weekend in two shootout uh games one one lost one against the Devils and a loss against Toronto so Overall, I don't think you can be too ups- upset, but because of that 7-1 undressing against your arch rival across the state, I think that's what everyone's focusing on. Everybody freaked out, and it's nonsense. It really is nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense, though. It's nonsense. I, I, no, because I think there's – it's nonsense in saying, like, this is the end of the franchise, this is the end of the season and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think there are some issues that the Flyers showed that I don't know how often, how quickly they can fix them. Yes, we can say that they bounced back in in Toronto and against the Devils, but I think this team is what they are. At the end of the day, we we expected them to make the playoffs. I think it's taking them going to take them a while to get Vigneault's system under their belt. But I, I just I look at this team and I just ask myself, what has changed? besides the coach and general manager in this past year that they haven't been doing for the past better part of a decade since 2012 when they last won a playoff series. Okay, let, let me start off a little simpler for you, okay? So just try to, <laughs> let me, let's start off a little bit simpler. Let's try one thing first, okay? What's okay. 82 minus 13? Right. Okay. I'm not going to mess. I work in radio. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, it's 69, okay? All right, so that's nice. how many games are left. To, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty awesome. 69 games left to play. So why is everybody freaking out about a 7-1 loss in October? When I'm sorry, they were 11 games in at that point. Why is everybody freaking out about the fact, oh my God, they lost 7-1. This team is doomed. Let's question the leadership. They are 13 games in with a new coach, a new system, 
and who a coach who is leaning on more younger players than actually veterans per se because Oscar Lindblom is the leading goal scorer so far. So how are people freaking out about a loss in October? Do you really want them to get hot right now? Granted, you want them to play well. Okay, they picked up out of the six possible points, they picked up three of them, okay? That's, that's pretty sad. But that's still out of three games. You lost seven to one. You didn't get any points. And then you went back and forth with Jersey and you got the shootout win. And then you went and had a back and forth game with Toronto in a shootout, a shootout that went 11 rounds. Right. And if you go back and watch the Penguins game, everybody's talking about, oh, the leadership with, with Giroux and, and, and the leadership with, with Voracek. And I have my own problems with Jake, but let's put one thing aside here. The next day in practice, they were working on breakouts. I was watching the game, and I said, a problem with this is their breakouts. Everybody's freaking out on the radio next day saying, oh, my God, the defense is scared. They're getting pinned. They're just wrapping it around the wall. They don't know what to do with it. But if you go back and watch the game, if you're looking at it from not a fan perspective and you actually know what the hell you're looking at in hockey, you can see the problem was the breakouts because they could not get clean pucks out of the zone. There was the Penguins were, I don't know how I'm going to explain a four check over the radio, but the Penguins were running a 2-1-2. They were reading the situation where they either stack the one defender who had the puck, which means put two guys on the player, or spread them out, which means is that they had one guy attacking the puck carrier and then the second guy attacking the guy without the puck, who was open for the pass. And that is... Anytime that you have an aggressive forward check, that the Flash didn't look prepared for it. They didn't have enough close support where the forwards were back enough to be able to get the puck and break it out of the zone. It's a system thing. It just didn't work out in their favor because they could not get any sustained pressure. They were always back in their own end, and they looked confused. They looked like a bunch of they looked like a platter of scrambled eggs out there. They were all over the place. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where and as I. I a great Twitter question to Flyers beat reporter Sam Karshidi. A guy just asked, is it because it's there's a huge difference between training camp and preseason compared to regular season? 100%. 150%. Absolutely, because the speed of it is the difference. These guys know what to do. They know what Vigneault needs them to do. But it's that half second of thinking that you need to take more that the other guys can already read the play and be on it because these guys are pros and they know what the hell they're doing. The right. point is, it's just the speed of it. They just need more time to get comfortable in it. 13 games in hockey is nothing. It's nothing. You cannot right. use that as a sample size saying, hey, let's blow the whole thing up and let's trade Giroux now. Let's trade Voracek and trade the whole damn team because they lost 7-1 to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I can understand if you're a fan, you can be pissed off about that to lose to a team like Pittsburgh. Yeah, I get that. But if you know what the hell you're looking at and you actually understand hockey, maybe you'll realize it was a technicality more of a system issue rather than actually the team playing poorly. Yeah, and and to and Karshidi was nice enough to uh, reply to that fan's uh, question, and he simply said, in his first year in New York when he was the Rangers coach, it took them about till Christmas to really get his system going. They made the Stanley Cup final in his first year as head coach. Now, granted, I'd have to go back. I should have gone back and looked at the how that roster stacked up to the make a compare contrast of how the Flyers looked in of this of the 2019 Flyers in terms of youth and veteran presence because I think that is a huge factor. When, as we've talked about with the goalie, uh, it, with the goalie position. 
Vigneault likes to lean on the veteran guy, especially of late when Carter Hart has been struggling, and I don't think anyone can really argue otherwise that Carter Hart has been struggling pretty mightily in this early season. He's off to a slow start, so Vigneault, naturally, is going to lean on the veteran guy, Brian Elliott. I think that goes the same for uh, the skaters, because he talked, you immediately saw, I believe it was right after the Penguins game, he immediately called on Jake Voracek, and Claude Giroux to step their game up and to rely on what they have produced in years past to bring them back. I think what happens is, as we talked about before, people look at that giant C on Claude Giroux's jersey and says, that's the guy who needs to be doing everything from uh, yelling in the locker room, from calling people out at practice. Like, I'm just, I'm not saying he actually does this or any veteran does this, but I'm just like anticipating what fans expect of him, which is all of those leading by example. And, and when the time comes, you're talking to the ref and all that stuff when during the game. Claude Giroux has never been a vocal guy to the extent of what we, as the fans, have anticipated. He's not going to be the heart, the heart on his sleeve guy. The, the most we saw out of that was in 2012, in game six, when Claude Giroux opens the game up with that insa- in- insane check uh, right on Crosby to lay him on his ass in game six, and then immediately a minute and a half later, score the goal to take the lead and pretty much bury the series. That was it. Like that was that was the most you'll ever get at a Claude Giroux in terms of hard on his sleeve, leading not just leading by example, but getting vocal. Because I just, you just remember seeing him yell into the crowd, "Let's go, let's go." He's never gonna be that guy night in and night out. As you mentioned before, eighty-two games. It's tough to do that. It's not like football where you're only playing sixteen games. And not only that, these guys are professionals. These guys are professionals. Yeah. Every hockey person will tell you that these guys are expected to motivate themselves. Over an 82-game season, these guys are expected to motivate themselves and be ready to play night in and night out. You don't need coaches standing on a soapbox giving rah-rah speeches 82 times a year. It does not work like that. It does not work. Coaches will get angry and tell it like it is because they know their teams can play better, but that's more to the coaches. And not only that, we talked about it before. The C itself is overrated, okay? Nowadays, you're based off of what you do for the team and, honestly, your salary. So, at almost $9 million, I would expect Claude Giroud to be the leader that he is. And he's he's a lead-by-example guy. That's how he is, and that's okay. He will always give 110% and always play hard on his shifts. I have a question when you're talking about a guy who makes a couple dollars less than him. And his effort on defense, wearing an A sometimes, and Mr. Voracek, but yeah. that's neither near here nor there. That's a story for another day because we I could fill up 30 minutes alone talking about him for every single week. Because in the whole idea of this, though, of the leadership core, and they, things they want to they single guys out, these guys are a unit. They need to pull themselves together. They have a lot of veterans who've been through a lot. Matt Niskanen has won a cup. Justin Braun's been in the league for a long time. You have guys like Tyler Pitlick who's been in the league for a while. Michael Roffel's a leader on this team because he's been here for seven years now. So they have guys who can do JVR's been in the league for almost a decade. Sean Couturier's been in the league for seven years now. So they have guys who are veterans. So just because you're pinning it on Claude and, and that that's how it is because he wears the C, it's just a hot take. I mean, get over it. You're not going to trade your best player 
who is Claude Giroux. There's no questioning that. It doesn't matter if, if Oscar Limba has seven goals and Travis Konechny has the most points. Your best player is Giroux. You do not have any other elite talent on your roster besides him. So when you want to say go ahead and just trade him after you lose 7-1, to one, can we hit the friggin' reset button here? I mean, come on. We're, we're blowing up 10 games into the season and people think it's over. Let's take a look back in history and see how things have worked out in the past. What did the St. Louis Blues do last year, Bill? They stuck it out. And what did they do? What happened? They, they won a damn cup. They won the they Stanley Cup. With, ironically, Craig Berube, of all people, who's actually a pretty good cup. Or, he's a pretty good coach and won a cup. Yes, and when did Craig Berube take over? Probably right around the holidays, right? Yeah, I was going to say Christmas Eve, like around Christmas. They were around, yeah, so it takes a little while for these guys to get going before you really get in the nitty-gritty of the season. You're talking about more late December, early January because that's when teams start shifting from more of the speed-type play to more of the tight-checking type play because the points become more important as you get later in the season. That's obvious. Come January, the doldrums of the season, essentially, that's when you see your lowest-scoring hockey because teams are starting to get tight-checking and starting to get a little more into playoff mode knowing that this is where they're sitting in the standings and every point becomes more crucial. So let's not talk about the fact that, yeah, they lost the game and technically have lost two out of their last three, even though in New Jersey they battled back and the same thing against Toronto, they battled back and they went into an 11-round shootout. These are the types of games that you need to get points in now. It doesn't matter if they got in 3 out of 6. The fact is they didn't go 0 for 6 they, or 2 for 6. They got 3 out of 6 points. The point is, is that people need to stop freaking out about everything with this team. Knock it off. Watch hockey. Understand what you're looking at, and we're going to start teaching you because we're going to have to teach in order to really explain what happened against the Pittsburgh game. That'll probably be our first episode in Chalk Talk. It'll kind of explain what a forecheck is and a breakout play because you won't understand what happened in that game until it's broken down for you that way. But besides all of that, it still does take some time. When John Stevens got fired in 2009, Lavi came in. And the Flyers got blown out like 7-1 the next game by, by, by Washington. They got blown out right away. So Lavi comes in and tries to change things and get them going. What was their best month? February. They only lost one game that entire month of February. And that yeah. got them that point back in that position where they were able to start making that playoff push. Greg Berube was the same thing. It took that team a while to get going, too, like the November around Thanksgiving, December. And then that team made a push and got in the playoffs, albeit they lost in the first round, but they made the push. The point is, is that you don't really start to see what a team is until you're about 30 games into the season. So you've got another month, month and a half to start seeing what this team really is. So if it's about Christmas time when they come in and start playing better and have a full understanding of the system, that's when you can start making assumptions about the team and calling them out if it's not good enough. Not in friggin' October. I think the difference is I don't disagree with you that people are totally overreacting in the month of October on the NHL. But the difference is obviously because it's a point-based system in the NHL compared to a strictly win-based where it's two points for a win – one point for an overtime loss or a shootout loss, and then obviously zero points for a loss. When you are this early on in the season and you're 
a quote-unquote fringe playoff team like the Flyers have been dubbed, and we are dubbing them themselves, they're on the edge of making the playoffs, if not a playoff team. Bagging these early points on, not just at a 50% rate, they need to increase that to 65 to 75 a better of a rate each week. That is where I think people are frustrated because by the time we get into late February, March, these points where you're leaving them on the on the ice is really going to come and bite bite you in the ass. Okay, let's spin this a little bit. If you want to talk about getting 75% of your points, they yeah. got blown out 7-1. Obviously, they didn't get any points there, right? Of course, right. What happened in the next two games? They got three out of four. So that's your that, 75% right there. Right, okay. So right. they're not leaving points on the table. They had one bad game last week. But that's still leaving points on the table. Just because, like they can lose three to one, they could lose six to one to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's still leaving points on the on the ice if they're not at least generating it to a of an overtime sense for the three on three. But look how they responded. Look, they Vigneault knew it was a breakout yeah. issue. The next day in practice, they were working on breakouts the entire time. Vigneault was blowing the play dead and telling them to restart every time they had a poor breakout. And what happened? They improved. They got better. They had much better success against the Devils. They had a horrible first period against Toronto. They made adjustments, yeah. and they came out there, and they <laughs> took the lead for a while there. So the point is, is that everybody's freaking out about all this stuff. And we want to sit here and evaluate something over a, a, a complete teardown of a franchise over a 7-1 loss on October 29th, whenever the hell it was. All right. But the point is, is that I would be think the more the character is that the fact that they responded and got points out of it. So meaning that they came back to a couple of nights later and they battled their way to a 4-3 win. And then they went and they battled a really fast and good Toronto team albeit they have issues where they're not really playing good defense and I question their goaltending. But, albeit Toronto's a dangerous team. They can they have got a lot of scoring talent there. And they yeah. were able to work it out into a, an 11-round shootout, which is insane to me, the fact that the Flyers went 11 rounds in a shootout and each team only had one goal after the eighth round, go to 11 rounds and then lose. You can't ask more for your team from that. You, you can't. You can't ask more of their team to do that. Yeah, you can ask him to try to score and go and win, but technically that was a goalie duel the other night. So, I mean, stop reading so much into this. This team, after getting blown out, picked up three out of four points. So if you want to spin it, okay, they got three out of six points this week, yeah, but two out of those three games, they got three out of four. So, you know, no matter how you wash it, this team is not playing terrible. They're just, it's early no. in the season. Right, it's true. It's 100% true. And it's good to see as as... As much as people want to say that shootouts don't matter because they're never in the playoffs, obviously, when once we get the playoff time, it's when it's con- just continuous overtime until someone scores, which is what makes hockey so great, especially, play- obviously, playoff hockey. But, like, the fact that they're contending and winning these shootouts compared to years past, obviously, they started really under... They did start to win these shootout games under the reign of Hackstall, despite his... Uh, despite Hackstall's issues... They really finally stuck a focus onto the shootout, and you're starting to still see that with Vigneault. So to see them actually not just give up when they, as soon as they get, because it felt like as soon as they got to the shootout in years past, you knew they were not going to win. Whether it was Elliott in net, Leighton in net, Steve Mason, it didn't matter. 
it's good to finally see that they're actually putting an effort into the shootout, knowing it doesn't really matter come playoff time. And if you want to really break down the shootout, let, let's take a look at this, okay? Carter Hart got beaten two out of the three rounds in Vancouver, all right? Flyers only scored one goal, and that's what happens. Then he goes out and he blanks the Devils on all three, which I believe he stopped Jack Hughes, Kyle Palmieri hit the crossbar, and he stopped Taylor Hall. So those guys can score. And he stopped them all. And Brian Elliott went eight rounds before he got scored on by Jason Spezza, who has been pretty much a guy who's been around and seen everything and done everything. So he's what he's he's old as dirt. He's like 36 now. But Jason Spezza, he's a veteran. He's done everything. So I would expect a guy like Jason Spezza to score in a shootout. And then you went still went three rounds without even being scored on. The point is, is that they have improved in the shootout as well. They're one and two in the year. Yeah, but if you look at the rounds, the goaltending has been phenomenal. So... I mean, let's take a look at a broad perspective and not narrow things down to one game like people in the city like to do. And I really wish the people in the city would know what the hell they're looking at before they start making assumptions that this whole team needs to be blown up. Because if you're going to take a look at a bad game like Pittsburgh, where they had some systemic issues, they couldn't do things the right way, and they turn around and then they respond the way they did, can 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 we look at the glass half full for once, please? Please. Just like people complaining yesterday, oh my God, the Eagles won, but they didn't do anything. They won! Shut up! You brought up the Eagles, and I think that's a good point of where I was actually going to go next. What I see, I haven't seen it a lot this year, thankfully, but I have felt, especially with the Eagles this year and the Flyers in years past, and this is what I think what is what people get frustrated under this current because I think this is something that the current core of veterans has a real problem with under the Flyers' reign. When they have these leads, especially against the good teams, the Pittsburgh, the Washington, they have these leads late in the second, early in the third, middle of the third, whatever it may be. And what the Eagles did yesterday, what I think is what was very frustrating against the Bears, you all of a sudden change your mindset to press, 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 or offense, 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 to I don't want to lose. And when you play not to lose, it's when everyone really starts to see how frustrating your play can get because you know you can turn it on to that next level that you've been playing at, and you're like, okay, we have the lead, we have, we've done enough. We don't have to do anything else. We can just sit back on the blue line in the Flyers' case or just sit back and run the ball in the Eagles' case. That's when fans start to get really frustrated. When you play not to lose is when you start to lose the fan base. Yeah. I mean, let's take a look and let's flash back back to that Pittsburgh game again. That that god awful thing that just ended the entire world apparently according to Twitter and what happened with 15 seconds left in that game? Flyers were down by 5. Game's over. But what happened in that game that showed you okay? This is what the difference between a really good team and a team that needs to step it up in, okay? 15 seconds left. A shot goes in on Carter Hart. He drops the puck down. I think it was Sandheim goes behind the net. Next thing you know, now there's 15 seconds left in a 6-1 game. Two Penguins converge on a four-check. Just go in there and just turn the puck over. And then the trailer's in the play, and boom. It's a hot, Next thing you know, it's in the net. 15 seconds left in a 6-1 game, and those guys are still working their tails off. And that's exactly, I think, what probably set people off is because we expect that out of teams in the city, no matter what sport it is, no matter what sport it is. But let me flip that argument to the other thing, other side. 
The Flyers were down against the Devils. Let's not forget that. They were down 3-2. They were down 3-2 late in that game. And they battled back to win. And then they played very hard to go into a shootout. Had a couple chances in overtime where Shane Gossesbury, I don't know how he knocked it away from the net, but he did it. But still, they had a goal waved off in overtime. That's a team playing to the finish. Same thing in against Toronto. They had a really bad first period. And they came out in the second period and they responded. And then in the third period, they went out and they took the lead. Mitch Marner did his Mitch Marner things. I I love Mitch yeah. Marner. I'm not going to lie. I, Mitch Marner's probably my favorite <laughs> player. I'm not going to lie in the entire league. I love watching that kid play. But Mitch Marner made a great play, tied the game. And that was a back-and-forth game even leading into overtime and even going into overtime. But then they went 11 rounds in the shootout. Now, like, granted, they didn't come out on top, and that happens. But the fact that I don't think this team is playing not to lose. I think you're seeing that edge that people want to see it. But it's a trust thing. That's the problem. People don't ready, aren't ready to trust this team yet. People aren't ready to trust this team with the goaltending. You know, if you want to flash back and use examples of, of teams where they've won in the city, you know, the, the Phillies back in 08. When they got to the playoffs, you just knew they were going to pull it out. They, with the Eagles in 2017, you just felt like they were just there was something there that they were going to win. I think people want to want to believe something with this team. The problem is it is way too early to really understand this team and really taking into perspective, okay, what is this team going to be? We can't be asking identity questions 15 games in. You can't. Especially under a new coach. Like, having these new coaches come in into hockey, I think you could argue that a, a hockey coach, especially you who is a hockey coach, I think the hockey coach is the most is the most influential coach in the four major sports. Baseball manager, I don't think as much leeway as some people think. I don't think it's especially in basketball. I it, With how basketball works, especially at the NBA level, I don't think the coach has much effect at all except a couple of inbound plays here and there. Football, obviously, probably between hockey and football, I think is where you can make the argument who has the most influence on, a ho- on the outcome of a game. When you have a coach that has just come in under his first year and has really not seen, you made a couple moves. Obviously, we've talked about Braun, we've talked about Niskin, we've talked about Kevin Hayes. Like, These guys to just come in and expect to just all of a sudden now they're the Boston Bruins of the leagues, the Washingtons of the league, and just have this quick turnaround where you're seven games over 500, you're you're converting 90% of your points uh, points. That doesn't happen in hockey. It's going to take a lot for Vigneault to get this going, and that's where we're going to see. As we keep talking about, we're going to see it around holiday time. After the new year is when these things are really going to start to click and how we're really going to know this team. But I think because of what happened with Dave Haxel, with how disappointing it was, despite making the playoffs a couple of years in his tenure, there was no real magic in those playoff appearances. You kind of you knew they got in and then it was like, you know they're not going to be Washington because you went up against them the year they won the cup. It was inevitable that they were not going to win that. And that's the difference. And I agree. And I think the head coach in football might have a little more in hockey. And I'm saying this as a hockey guy. And the reason why is because you have a coach that has a whole system that scatters it down to a bunch of different coaches who implement an entire game plan. Hockey's not like that. But I think that because hockey has more peaks and valleys than football does, 
I see your point about influential because there's got to yeah. be times where a coach has got to come in and he's either got he's got to figure out the guy's personality. Does he need a kick in the ass? Is he got any tie that you got to get in his face and tell him off, or is the guy you kind of honestly have to cut him and say, hey? What's going on here? Is this a confidence issue, or you know there's more than tank? He's just not giving the effort. I'm curious if that's what Carter Hart is going through with Vigneault. Because, obviously, we've touched on Carter Hart struggling a little bit. He played decent over the weekend against the Devils, but something something tells me that they're coddling him because he's so young. I just get the feeling he's coddling, and that's not a bad thing. I, I don't think I don't think this is he's in the right position to get, like, a yelling match or a screaming match, whatever you want to call it. I think he's just like, hey, we're going to start Elliot for these next games, whatever it is. And I'm not saying, like, they have a pretty heavy schedule for this upcoming week. But, like, I don't see them yelling at Carter Hart. I think that's a, car, a coddling thing. I don't think it's even so much coddling. I think that with Carter Hart, the confidence is more in his technique right now. There was a couple yeah. goals the other night that he probably should have had. He... Okay, let's go back and let's look at the Simmons goal. The Simmons goal, he kind of fell on his belly beforehand and kind of opened up a hole for Simmons to put it through. So if you play strong positioning as a goaltender, you're keeping your body up, you're keeping your pads closed, you're using your stick. Carter Hart does not use his stick well, and it's going to be an area of game he's got to improve in. Okay, he got beat on the Vatnin goal. They were complaining on the broadcast about, oh, he should have got a stop there. Yeah, well, a guy comes in at the slot and just lasers one high side. That is a really hard shot to stop, okay? And then let's go back to the Taylor Hall goal. The Taylor Hall goal, for some reason, Shane Gossesbeer decided to dive with his stick and just have him just dance right around him. Justin Braun tried to recover in the play. Carter Hart went down to try to take away the low part of the net. But the issue was is that he left his pads open a little bit. He didn't close his five-hole the full way. Now, when your own guy's coming at you and you're in a full butterfly, you're actually in a very precarious position. So I understand if he kind of opened himself up to save himself. But they were, they're were leaky goals right now with him. Most of those goals, two of the three goals that he gave up were, were leaky. There's ones if you have strong technique like he did last year, Mm-hmm. That'd be fine. Right now, it's one of those things where, as I mentioned last week, he's kind of overthinking the game a little bit. Now, he played well. He made some really tough saves. He guessed perfectly on that shootout. Tried to Taylor Hall tried to fake five-hole the first time, and he bit on it, but he recovered quickly, and he did go five-hole, and he stopped him. So, it's still there, and you saw how fired up he was afterwards. But with Carter Hart right now, it's more of a technique issue, and that'll come as he gets more games coming in. I think the problem with Carter Hart right now, honestly – is the fact he's not playing is what's hurting him. As I alluded to last week, it's more of a problem that he's not playing than the fact of anything else because if you're not in that flow, as we talked about before, mm-hmm. that's where you get hot as a goaltender and get going as a goaltender. It's not anything with confidence with him as far as mental. It's more of a technique issue. And I should have clarified that last week, but it's more of a technique issue, which the more he plays, the more you get through it. Brian Elliott's a veteran. He's been through it all. Brian Elliott has to trust his technique because he doesn't have the talent like Carter Hart does. So he's that's why he's much more technical. But that's why also you see some leaky goals with him because he just kind of, when he's not on his game, he's bad. So Carter Hart will work through this. They're not going to send him down. He's going to work through this, but he's got to tighten up his game, and I guarantee you Kim Dillabaugh, the goalie coach, is working with him on it. Yeah, and well, let's look into ahead of this week. They have a pretty tough schedule, to say the least. Obviously, they have uh, the Carolina Hurricanes tomorrow tomorrow night uh, at home, thankfully. 
uh, and the Canadians the on Thursday night before going up to Toronto to face the Maple Leafs again. This is the ringer for Carter Hart this week. All of them playoff teams should be playoff teams this this year, and I think this is it. Like I think if if Carter Hart and then obviously you also have the Boston Bruins this weekend as well, who are the hottest team in the NHL right now. It seems I think they've won five straight. Like this is Carter Hart's team to lose, and I think it starts the next tomorrow night against Toronto or excuse me against Carolina. Billy, I love the confidence that you have in this kid because you're really just trying to justify that Vesna argument. I really, but I got oh, of course I am. I got bad news for you. <laughs> Carter Hart's not starting tomorrow night. All right, Elliot's going to start tomorrow night. One thing about a coach, I can guarantee it, you ride the hot hand. You ride the hot hand until Elliot played very well the other night against Toronto. Played well enough. Let's put it that way. And it'll go through an eleven round shootout. He played well enough. He didn't. He, didn't, he, he had... went through an eleven round shootout. You ride the okay, hot hand. True. You ride yeah. the hot hand. He'll get the start against Carolina. He will. If depending on what happens that game, we'll see what happens on Thursday. If I'm going to say Carter Hart's next start's probably going to be about Montreal because it's a much more favorable matchup for him. Carolina's nine four and one right now. They're ridiculously good. If you go back and look some of their stats that they have uh, right now with the Hurricanes, they are currently eighth in the league in scoring, tenth in the league against goals against. The Flyers are twelfth in scoring and twenty first in goals against. So. Um, you're going to need make sure you have a veteran against uh, going against that team. You really would. Uh, you were trying to get two points out of that. As far as Carter Hart, you have a much favorable matchup against the Canadians. The Canadians are fifth in scoring, and they're 18th in, in goals against. But their save percentage for the team for the year, a little bit below 900. So they that's a, that's a better matchup for him because they play a different style. They're not as up-tempo as as Carolina is Saturday. And don't forget, they got a back to back this week. And while you mentioned Toronto, you didn't mention the next night on Sunday, they got to go back to Boston and play Boston yeah. as the hottest team in the league. So that's a back to back situation. I'm the Flyers are eight points on the table this week. I'll say this. They'll be very, very fortunate to come out with five. Oh, I was going to say they're going to be fortunate. I talked about how they need to convert on 75%. I think this is a week you got to hope for 50%. Yeah, you have like, to because Carolina is like, going to be a hard game for them. It's going to be a very, very hard game. You're gonna. It's probably going to be more the shades of Pittsburgh if it doesn't go their way. Montreal's a good matchup for them. They just played Toronto. Toronto, they can handle them if they're playing well enough. Boston, I mean – but let's be honest, they have had trouble with Boston for the last 12 years. I, I, I can't remember a time they haven't had trouble against Boston since probably since pre-lockout. That's when they last dominated them. So, yeah, it's been a long time against Boston. Boston has the Flyers number. If they start Yaroslav Halak, even not even Tuka Rask, Yaroslav Halak just has been unbeatable against the Flyers in recent memory. So, um, even if they go Rask or, or Halak, it's going to be a problem for them. So, I mean... Out of all the games, if they beat Boston, I'll be extremely happy. But I don't see a win against Boston, and I probably don't see a win against Carolina if they're able to eke out a point between two of those teams. Yeah, but I think that Montreal and Toronto, those should be winnable games for the team. As much as I praise the Hurricanes, I don't. I think as much I know I love that the, I love their mantra Jer- bunch of jerks all that from last year and how much how much fun they made this game. Uh, at home, I think as long as the Flyers are playing them at home, because I think it's a very tough to go down to PNC Arena in Raleigh and play against them. Uh, but 
some I I think these next two home games, which are Carolina and Montreal, I think that's where they're going to get their points, and then it gets iffy on the weekend because Maple Leafs, Jordan, with Matthews, with uh, with Tavares, like that's that's a tough club, and obviously we talked about Boston. There's nothing more to be said. No matter who's in net, Tuka Rask or Halak, it's it's a it's a gauntlet for them. I think they'll get four, and I think they'll win two and lose two, and they'll, they'll go on a nice two-game win streak starting tomorrow night, and then they'll lose over the weekend. Yeah, I, I, I still think that on a back-to-back, um, they they need to finally get. Um, they need. It would be great to be a, a sweep, but that's that's such a hard schedule to go from Toronto and then travel to Boston and go and get a team of that caliber. Yeah, that's a tough one. I I mean, I'll be happy with two points. I would. I, I'm sorry. I'll be thrilled with three, and I'll be elated with four. I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. And then they. And then looking even farther ahead, after Boston, they go. They have the Capitals at home, but obviously that's off a two day rest, so that's a nice. But like this is a very tough stretch. They've played well against the Capitals. Let's not. That's true. <laughs> the past couple of years, the Flyers have had some good games against the Capitals. I mean. I think they scored seven on them uh, last year and won a home home game. So the Capitals aren't one to really be worried about. It's that Boston team. It's really going to be a measuring stick. Okay, that's probably your toughest matchup so far. It's going to be your toughest matchup so far. How do you come out on top of that one? Carolina is just coming out with speed and they're they grind it out and they their goaltending's questionable. Uh, but I think it's um, still. I, I think I don't see that game floating in their favor. Montreal and Boston's where I'm going to. I'm sorry, Montreal and Toronto's really what I'm going to be looking at. If they drop those games against against the Canadians and the Maple Leafs, then I might flow to that side a little bit of concern. But yet again, too, we're, we're we'll be only 15, 16 games in the season, so there's no point in going to panic mode until you hit like game 35, 40. When you get to when you get to game 41, you have a general idea of where the team's at. That's when you're going to find out what this team is really all about because that playoff push they're going to have towards the middle of the end of the season is really going to see we're going to find the character on this team. Not right now. That is going to do it. We're going to have a full recap of this gauntlet of games for the Philadelphia Flyers these next four games, wrapping up in Boston, and then we'll have a full preview next Monday leading into the Capitals game on Wednesday night. For Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. Be sure to rate the podcast five stars and subscribe while you're at it so you get the podcast first. Every Tuesday morning is a new podcast. Every Tuesday morning. It's a huge boost. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Orange and Backcheck. We'll put it in the description as well. Again, for Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. Talk to you next week.